So in the 138th Psalm, we're going to talk about prayer tonight. You know, everyone who drives a car or has driven a car, that's, that's almost every one of us here. Those who haven't, maybe you're too young and they're very familiar with a car anyway. And what we all have as a familiarity with a vehicle is a spare tire. I, I hope anyway. I hope everyone has that. I'm no mechanic, but I keep spark plug. I keep not spark plugs, jumper cables. I keep jumper cables. I told you I'm no mechanic. Uh, a spare tire, a lug nut wrench, a jack, and an air compressor. That that spare tire has been under there a while. It's going to need some air, and and you need an air compressor too. You don't want to get caught without those things. And we, we do that just in case there's a flat. In case we have a flat, we want to be prepared. We want to have those things. You know, m most of the time, we don't even think about any of those things until something goes wrong. It's our just-in-case items. And we forget about them until, well, just-in-case, we have this problem. When something does go wrong, we have a flat. Who, who can't remember where the jack is? You know it's there, but you have to look in these different compartments till you find that even the spare tire, is it, is it in the trunk? Is it underneath the vehicle? Where was that thing? We do that because we really don't think about it much and we don't, we don't keep up with it and, and we don't go to it until there's a bad situation. And I say that because... Because many Christians treat the prayer life that very way. Preacher went to the hospital one time. Family was gathered around for a loved one. You had family, extended family members, everyone there to support. And the man comes walking through the door in a suit and an extended family member says, Who is that? Oh, that's the preacher and he's, he's come to pray for whoever it was. And the response is, has it come to that? That should have been the first thing. But they're, but they're thinking, wow, we're, we're getting to a bad place and, and that's where prayer is. And that's the mentality of some. Prayer is treated like a spare tire too often. It's the just-in-case thing that, that many Christians have in the way they handle it. It's forgotten about until a clear apparent tragedy is before us or we get into this jam and we just can't ignore the situation. We, we can't put duct tape on it ourselves. We can't bandage it up. We can't do something within our, own, within our own means just to put it off for a while. And so that, that sends many Christians to maybe their only time of prayer. What, why is prayer treated this way? Maybe we just don't realize what happens within prayer. You know, maybe we need some encouragement about what really goes on when, specifically when God answers prayer. And that's what we're going to find in this psalm tonight. It's the first of a series of eight psalms in a row that are attributed to David. Not that those are the only psalms. There are many psalms. That, are, that David was the writer of. But here we have eight in a row 
before the very last psalms of the entire book, the Hallelujah Psalms, and and I might have just lined out the next couple of months. That that might be what we do on Sunday nights right there that I mentioned, but we're definitely going to look at the first of these eight of David's in the 138th concerning prayer. This is possible opposition that that we will find in this psalm that, that is being uh, uh, spoken about or prayed to the Lord about due to David when he became king. God wanted David to become king. God made it happen. There were people groups that didn't want that. There were people groups that, that, that were hoping for uh, a split among Israel, that there would be weakness in the kingship. And the Jebusites, the Philistines, the Moabites, all wanted Israel to be divided. David knew what to do about that opposition. He didn't try to handle it himself. He didn't think he should go for something within himself to be able to handle that. But he prayed. David prayed. He knew God's will. He prayed for God's help. And he trusted the Lord for victory. And David defeated the enemy. Many times, David was given victory over the enemy. And David makes the Lord the object of his prayer and his praise. But let's look at what really happens when God answers prayer. Hopefully this will increase our prayer life. It will encourage our prayer life, I hope, and definitely cause us to treat prayer differently. When God answers prayer, it glorifies His name. When God answers prayer, it provides a witness to those who are unsaved. And when God answers prayer, it's part of the process of God accomplishing His purpose in our lives. So let's look at God answering prayer and it glorifying His name. David says, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. You see God's in the lowercase g here, and of course that's speaking of the false gods of these people groups that were troubling David and giving much opposition to David. David is praising the Lord here. David has been given victory, and David does not want to see his victory as David's. David wants to make sure that the Lord is given all the credit, all the glory 
for the victory that He has. He gives Him praise. He gives Him glory. He praises the Lord, it says, with His whole heart. He sang praise to the Lord in public, who, whoever it was in front of, these different people groups, anybody and everybody. He was giving praise to the Lord in song. He praised the Lord for His loving kindness. He praised Him for truth. And it says in verse 2, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. This doesn't mean that David believes that the Word of God is greater than God in His character. Uh, God is His Word. God, God is all of His attributes. He is all of these things. And, and, and it's an, an equality here. It's not God's Word being put above God's character or His reputation. But, but to understand that would be like this. God blesses above what He promises. And, and we've all found that to be true. God promises food and clothing. And everyone here has more than that. God blesses above His promise. It's like what He's saying. We, we could maybe answer that with Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. He's able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And and that's just not just Scripture that we believe. It is experience that is true. And so we come to God's house and we give Him glory. Let there be glory in His church because of all that He does by way of His promises. That's enough. But He goes beyond His promises and does for us. David, David didn't have Ephesians chapter 3. But David very well knows this. David is a man of God. He prayed to God under the pressure of his enemies. And God gave him the strength to defeat his enemies. David had cried out to the Lord for that help. David gives praise to the Lord after that victory. And God brought about glory to his own name. By answering the prayer of David. The governing factor in the way that God answers prayer is going to be by what gives Him glory. It's not going to be by the relief that we want. It's not going to be what makes us happy. It's going to be what gives Him glory. That's why we make our requests known unto God with thanksgiving, but we always qualify and end that with, Your will be done. God's will is that He be glorified in and through all that He does. Whatever we ask for, no matter if you want to categorize it as big or small, everything we take to God, 
How's he going to get the glory out of it? That's, that's what he wants. He wants our hearts to be conditioned in such a way that we're thinking about how he's going to be glorified concerning the request that we are making to him. Answered prayer glorifies God's name, but answered prayer provides a witness to the unsaved also. Verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is not only higher than the gods of the enemy, He is greater than any king and any ruler among the people groups. The victories that God gave to David provided the proof of how God is greater than all. David's heart in these victories, in the battles he had to engage in, was that that would be seen. Not, that, not just that he would be relieved of his enemy, but that God would be known and clearly seen by the proof that he is greater than all. That the unsaved kings of the earth might be saved and see that David's God is the true and the living God. And there is no God greater than David's God. God is greater than all. I love it where Jesus says that in John Chapter 10, he talks about how no man can, can pluck you out of your father's hand. And right there in that, he says, My father, which gave them me, gave him the sheep, the ones he gave eternal life to. He's given us eternal life. My sheep hear my voice. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. I, I love that. It's off subject. But I really love that because where it talks about how no one can pluck you out of your father's hand, that, that's, that's scripture that, that some people won't go to, that won't look at, that we clearly see get, speaks of our security as a believer. Why? How, how is it that no one can pluck us out of our father's hand? Because God is greater than anyone who would try. You would have to be greater than God, someone or something would, in order for someone's salvation to be taken away from them. And there is nothing and no one greater than the one who gave it. Gave it as a gift, Almighty God. God is greater than all the earthly kings together. He's greater than anything and some rulers came to know it. There, there, there were some kings and rulers who looked upon David's God and saw that he was greater. Gentile kings were caused to rejoice over David's God. King Hiram of Tyre had a house built for David in connection to the victory that his almighty God gave to him. King Toa sent his son to salute David for the victory that David's God 
had given him. David didn't make it about himself. David didn't try to make himself look powerful to the other kings. He made known how powerful his God was. And even Gentile kings saluted David for his God. David's prayer was that the kings of the earth would hear God's word and praise the one true God for his promises to Israel. God promised Abraham that those who would do Israel harm would go down in defeat. And, and surely that has happened from, from Egypt and on down. Ultimately, ultimately, there was defeat. Anytime, anytime there was a hiccup, it wasn't because of God. It was because of God's people needing to depend on God, go to God, and give God the glory. The only hope for the entire world was the hope that Israel had. And David knew that. So David glorified and gave credit, expressed that credit to his God, made it known that he prays to his God. The only hope for anyone is the hope that Israel had in the Lord. That, that's true then, and that's true today. David supplicated to the Lord for all of these people groups, for their leaders. They, they had their own religion. They had a religion. Respect all religions? David didn't. How, how can you, how can you, when you know that people need Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and nothing and no one else but Him and the Word of God. Or they're going to perish in separation from God for all eternity. There would be no reason to respect a religion that would do that to someone but to go and to tell them about Jesus, to make the one true and living God known. David's prayer, David's supplication was that the kings of all the earth would look to God and that they would be saved. I, I know a man who's a Baptist preacher today and he was involved in gangs growing up. And, the, and he, he, knew, he knew how gangs worked. And every gang he was around, the leader was so influential. It wasn't for good, it was for bad, but he clearly was able to influence. So after he got saved and became a preacher and he went back to the streets and went to these gangs, he went right to the leader. Because if God would save that leader, God would use his influencing ability for good then that maybe everyone under him might be saved. He aimed at the leader. David's heart is, is for all, but he's specifically desiring that the kings of the earth would turn to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, and be saved. The Messiah, he desired for them. Get a leader saved, and God can use that leader in, in everyone under his authority in a special way. Answered prayer is a witness to the unsaved. Two co-workers, one, one speaking about another, talked about 
this co-worker that annoyed them. They just prayed about everything. Something that seemed so small. They were in their office and they, they knew that they were down, the old so-and-so was down the hall praying. After a few years, that co-worker was talking to somebody about it and they weren't annoyed anymore. They said, you know what? She prays about everything and it works. It works. How about, how about that for witnessing to the lost? The answering of prayers for God's children from Almighty God. But answered prayer also accomplishes God's purposes in our lives. Verses 6 through 8, it says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Our most high God is, is not too high on his throne to meet the needs of the lowly. The Bible says here that he has respect unto the lowly. That speaks of direct attention upon someone. That speaks of favor given to them. No respecter of persons. Whoever they are, whatever their status is, God doesn't see that. He has respect unto the lowly. And we find this all through the Bible. In the 11th Psalm and the 4th verse, it says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. He, he sees, His eyes behold. I have written in my Bible right there beside, His eyes behold, I see you. And then in the 113th Psalm and verses 5 through 9, it says, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. He has purposes to accomplish in all of our lives. I'm going to go over to Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, and it says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also 
that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. Isaiah 66, 2. For all things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Over in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 and verse 47, it says, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him. From generation to generation he hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hopen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. God gives direct attention and favor upon his children, the lowly, whoever it may be. Paul told Corinth that though Jesus Christ was rich, he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. He told Philippi to be in lowliness of mind, to, to esteem one another as better than themselves, to look not only on one's own things, but look also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, he goes on to say, which was in Christ Jesus. And he says several beautiful things there. I'll just say, who took upon himself the form of a servant. There are purposes for our lives, and God accomplishes those by answered prayer in so many ways. Jesus was lowly in life. He was lowly in death. He overlooked no one's needs. He's high and holy, but He's not arrogant, and He does not overlook His children and the needs that we have. Consider our salvation need that we had. He put Himself in the position of being treated like a criminal. He was nailed to the cross, becoming our sin. He who knew no sin, and He didn't take His Jehovah God for granted, David didn't. He knew what was coming uh, from the Messiah, and he never took his Lord for granted. He was thankful to the Lord who knew his need and came to his rescue and delivered him from his enemies. So much opposition came against David, but none of it could interrupt the purpose that God had for David's life. I'll admit I took a moment there in that. Through the highs and the lows, the, the sweetness of things and the ugliness of things that happen, 
through the ups and the downs of life, through everything, through opposition. The, the warfare we're talking about on Sunday mornings that's, that's always coming against us. Through all of these things, God has a purpose for our lives that no one and nothing can interrupt. Not for the child of God in the will of God. God's purposes are going to get accomplished in our lives. I don't know about you, but that's a great help. That keeps me going. That, that makes me realize that we can cling to God's promises of His purpose for our lives and that nothing can stop it. The, the same is true for every believer today as what was true for David. Nothing can stop God's purposes from being fulfilled in our lives. The Bible says being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guess what's going to be happening in the life of the child of God in the will of God until Jesus comes back. He's going to be accomplishing His purpose in our lives. Not only did He tell Philippi that, but He also says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. All of our lives, no matter what comes our way, no matter what detours try to block us, no matter what happens, God has a purpose for our lives. For He told Ephesus, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. He told the church at Colossae, I believe this is 129, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. All of God's promises are so precious. His promises to protect us. His promises to purify us. But sometimes there's no sweeter promises in a moment than His promise that He has purpose for us as long as we are here. I remember in a fog some of my unsaved days and, and thinking I had absolutely no purpose in life. A few things go bad, a few things go wrong, life gets torn up in a few ways and I sit and think I just don't have any purpose for being here. I tell you what, those promises are so precious that He makes to us of a purpose that He has for us as long as we are on this earth. You know, everything in our house works because of a power connection. The lights work because of a power connection. The TV works because of a power connection. The appliances in the kitchen work because of a power connection. And every single one of them, it takes... It takes turning to switch on. And that's an encouragement to you and I concerning our prayer life because our prayer life turns the switch on to these things. God is accomplishing things through prayer. God answers prayer 
to glorify His name. God answers prayer to evangelize the lost. God answers prayer and it accomplishes His purposes in our lives. May we not treat the prayer life like an old spare tire. It's just there in time of need. I, I tell you what, the song, I need thee every hour. Every time we sing that song, I stop and I'm refreshed. That that is a truth. We need Him all the time. Pray without ceasing. Granddaddy said of that, that our prayer life is to be like a hacking cough. You try to sing, and they, when you have that cough, you're going to cough. You try to laugh, you're going to cough. That hacking cough just seems to be constant while you're sick. Our prayer life is to be like that hacking cough. If we're not praying, we ought to be in a spirit of prayer. Because we need it, because God is doing things through our prayer life, He has purposes for us. He's, a, he's evangelizing the lost as a result of His answered prayers. And I don't know what the Lord might have laid on your heart tonight, but, you know, it's not by a prayer that we're saved, but a lot of people are, are saved in prayer. And it may be tonight that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior of your life. But, it, but if you've discovered tonight that, that you're a sinner and that God set the penalty for sin and that that penalty is in separation from Him. It's in hell forever. He doesn't want anybody to go there, but people are determined to get there by rejecting, re receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. He set the penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. He didn't stay there. He was buried and raised again. There's, there's victory over our sin, but it's only in what God did through and to His Son. He had His Son to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And if anyone will trust in Jesus, say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I trust You as my Lord and Savior to save me from my sins. Come live in my life. Wash my sins away. Give me the home in heaven that I'm hearing I'm promised of. He'll, he'll save you. You will in no wise be cast out. You will not be rejected by Jesus. No one here will. And, and your first prayer that the Lord hears could be you thanking Him for saving you from your sins. You do business with God as, as we have a time of invitation. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we bow before you again tonight and we thank you for an opportunity to share your word, to consider the life of your man, a man of God, David, and the prayer life that he had. Your word says he cried out to you. And I thank you for a broken and contrite heart. I thank you for a humble spirit that you give us. And when we call upon you in prayer, Lord, it, it, it's a sign that we realize our desperate need for you. And I want to thank you for the victory that you give. I want to thank you that you have set things up in such a way that you're doing great things as a result of answered prayer. Lord God, may it not be about our happiness when we call on you. May it not just be 
about what we want, but Lord, that you would be magnified in all of it, that you would be known, that souls would be saved as a result of of how you move and what you do in the lives of your children. Be with us now in a time of invitation. Speak to our hearts, Lord. I thank you for your goodness to us and, and the good you desire for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If everyone could please stand.